Let's pray. Uh, Father God, uh, we come to you knowing, experiencing your goodness in us and for us in Christ and Christ alone. And so now, Daddy, uh, will you please uh, display that more so in your word today uh, through, through our time of opening up your word asking the Spirit of God to move in a mighty and powerful way. We stand, we sit needy, begging you to move. Begging you to do what only you can do. Change hearts. Encourage hearts. And move us more towards Christ likeness. We cannot and will not do this of ourselves. It's impossible. So given over the next few moments, will you please be glorified? Will your people today be edified? We ask it in your son's name. Amen. Well, in case you didn't, you don't know me, I think it's only right if I spend the next three to five minutes uh, letting you know who I am and where I am just in life now, and then we'll get into Acts chapter 10, so we'll be in Acts 10, and I want to say also that all that I said, Jim said it in five minutes, so I'm going to simply rehearse and in a sense, what Jim said. I mean, I, I love the fact, man, that uh, man, that we're here praying for this and asking God really to move. Because we'll see in Acts 10, that's, that is what it takes. Uh, I mean, for, for, this, for this ideal of racial reconciliation to happen, it's going to take churches men and women alike begging to God, pleading with him to do it not more so in this world but also in our hearts. That's where it all starts. And so with that being said, I'm, uh, my name is Valentine. My first and last name is Valentine. So just go with it, amen. So just go with it. Uh, I'm from Oak Cliff, Texas. That is not a city, that's a hood. <laughs> so Oak Cliff, that's my hood, okay? Born and raised in Oak Cliff, Texas. Uh, uh, man, uh, raised in a single mom, or made, raised in a single parent house. Uh, if you have not heard, let me be the first to tell you, I've been in jail over eight times, two in, two in state prison and one in federal prison. God saved me in federal prison. April of 1999, God saved me uh, while in prison. Uh, he saved and called me at the same time. Uh, um, did not know anything about the Bible. He told me to start a Bible study. I started, it was me and a guy named Russell. We started the book of John. He knew more about it than, than I did. <laughs> but yet here I was leading a Bible study. Uh, man, you, if you fast forward six months down the road, the chaplain, uh, he 
did something that he had never done before. He allowed an inmate to lead a Bible study for an entire prison system, and that was me. So God just moved in just mighty ways in a short time in six months. Uh, got out of prison, uh, went to a church for about two years, felt discontent for some reason at a good church. Uh, I thought that that meant that I was to plant a church, and so uh, 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 unwisely, uh, without great knowledge, and against mentorship and all of that, but off of a coin toss. <laughs> yes, it was a coin. No, they did it. It was a coin toss uh, that led me to plant Amazing Grace Bible Church. Uh, August of 2004, I planted Amazing Grace Bible Church in Oak Cliff, Texas. In God's grace, that church for the first two years never got past 15 people. That was God's grace, amen. That was, that was God saying, let me just save you and them from what you're going to do. So God saved us all in that. Uh, 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 did not grow past 15 people, one being my son, amen. So that's 13 of us, okay, outside of he and I. Uh, but then God, he just did something that was crazy. He just grew us. Uh, and I don't know why. When I think back, to that moment, I just got, why did you do that? Uh, but we grew uh, in the midst of mega church land. I mean, we was right there in the center of about seven mega churches, and God, He grew us. And I just, I, I, to the day, I, I don't know why He uh, did that. But it came a point to where, in, in the midst of that church plant, well, towards the end, I would say, uh, I was, we, we were meeting at a seven-day Adventist church, and the pastor came in, got jealous, told us we had uh, 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 a month to leave after I told him that I would not pay his uh, go up on rent anymore. We was done with that. So he said, man, you guys have to go. He gave us 30 days. We didn't have nowhere to meet for about five months. Uh, we Came back together. We actually continued uh, for about a year and a half, and it was it was it was it was June of 2010. I remember it vividly. I came into the church and saw it was all black, and I burst out in tears. I just knew then that the gospel was bigger, broader, and better. So I tried for years and changed to, through vision casting and bringing in guys that I knew could preach the gospel. Uh, there was twice in that where I would let a person come in to teach and people, and, and the church got up and walked out because they were not black. I realized then that racism was not just a white thing, or it was a black thing too. So I decided August of 2011, I was going to leave. You guys can find a pastor. I'm going to go to Grand Prairie, and I'm going to plant the church called The Merge. I was going to merge blacks and whites and brown. I thought, I thought the name was just like, man, it was, it, was it. Uh, they would come 
to this here. The merge, oh, they'll come, they'll come, they'll come. So guess what, guess we're merging. We're merging. So I mean, just the name itself, come on in. And so I was about three or four months into that when I got this email from some, I still do not know today where this email came from. I got an email to attend an Acts 29 round table. Here's what I knew about Acts 29. It was a white churches that had some money and I was about to get paid. <laughs> so I come in, man, I, I, y'all, listen, I have my cars, they ready, man. I mean, I'm, I, I'm ready to go, man. I'm like, man, I'm finna I'm 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 bed today, boy. I come inside and I sit at the table with Jim Essien. He, Rodney Hobbs was preaching the lesson. I come in, I said, boy, look, they got some money. I said, Alicia, I texted, I'm the only fly in the milk. I'm about to get paid. I'm, I'm, I'm getting paid today. So now I pass out my cards, man. Hey, man, y'all, man. Hey, man, I'm a minority church planting in the hood. Help a brother out. Let's do this, man. So, man, we so now I pass out my card and oh, Rodney Hobbs from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. Where in the hell <laughs> was Midlothian, Texas? Come to find out, it was about 15 miles south of Oak Cliff. I had no idea. <laughs> had no idea of that. I had no idea. Had no idea. So, man, so we go down there. So, I come with this man. Glossy church prospectus. I mean, it was. I had. I mean, it was tight. I had. I had. I had, it was. It's ready to go. Rodney was my first victim. Rod, check that out. But before Rodney looked at that, he said, "Man, tell me your story." I tell Rodney my story. At this time, we had a probably about a core of twenty-five people. And uh, I remember Rodney, who's five foot seven, about 60 wet, looked me in my eyes across the street at Starbucks and, and said these words, how can I talk you out of that church plant? Like, you asking the wrong question. No, how can you fund this church plant is the question. Ask me, you, you're asking the wrong question. How, no, ask me, no. Connect that with a, with a, you missing one word, change one word, not talk out of, but how can you fund that church plan? Well, man, the rest is history. Uh, I, met, I met up with Rodney about a week or two later, him and a guy named Dave Hanson. They gave me this, this proposal, and I'll save you all of the details, but in short, I pushed pause on the merge come on staff as a church plant resident, eventually uh, a full-time staff, eventually an elder, and then eventually a church planting elder. August uh, 16, August 14 of last year, they sent me out. Now what I didn't tell you was in June of 2010, God gave me a vision of a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational church led by me. 
I like God, you got jokes. You got you you you, you have jokes. June of 2010. I at Starbucks, I remember I, I remember him telling me this. August 2016, the 21st of that month, we had our first interest night. First interest night. 133 people showed up. I hadn't said a word. And in front of me was a church that was multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational. That what God had produced in my heart, he produced through my hands. People today ask me how, and I simply tell them God. There's no other answer. Now, since then, the, since I preached those numbers, they dwindled. So they dwindled some. I messed it up. But up to date, as of right now, Omni Fellowship, that is now a gathering for all. You get Omni. I just love the name, amen. Just, <laughs> just the name. You know Omni. I mean, you'll come visit Omni. I'm sure you Omni. A gathering for all. That's our motto. Currently, Omni is, uh, man, we're in, we're in talks with, man, y'all, I'm, I'm about to tell you something that is just only God. Five months into this church plant, we've never been going for now uh, eight months. Five, five months within this church plant, First Baptist Church of Cedar Hill approached Omni about merging with us. The word merge came around again, y'all. <laughs> so we talked about a month, uh, June of this year, uh, we decided to move in with First Baptist. Uh, we are not shacking, uh, we se separate times and separate rooms, there's no shacking going on, we're dating in the same house. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so, so shaking, y'all. Let's go on. Let's go on. We're not shaking. We're dating, y'all. Just in the same, just in the same house, okay? In, in the same house, and we've now been there for about two months. And uh, man, First Baptist Cedar Hill, the average age is sixty-five. Our average age is about 35. We are what they envisioned them being. But what God has not done at their church. And for the past two months, God has done, has done a work in all of our hearts. I would say this, and then I'm going to go on. I went there with the idea to merge with First Baptist. And, and to love them separately. Primary it was to merge and then love. God in his grace has flipped that. Love them 
And if the marriage comes through, uh, comes through or goes through, that's on me. But, but what's on you guys is simply to love. And so we're now, we, we, we've been here for two months, and uh, man, it's, I've cried over things said about me. about my wife, they don't know me, but they've judged me. And so they've pushed pause on merging, had a talk with their deacons last Sunday at two o'clock. And then I just, so they, 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 they met to tell me that they was done, really. And God just showed up. He just showed up, and man, in the midst of that conversation, they said, man, what can we do to go forward? The tenor, the mood changed. It just changed. It's just like their hearts, like God, I, I saw God really, literally turn their hearts away from me and towards him. So get your eyes off of him and look to me. And man, and so when I left that conversation, Pastor Scott, who was the pastor there, called me and said, man, the conversation went well. Let's move forward. Let's plan events within First Baptist and Omni where we can meet, get to know, and serve together. So, we're, so we start this next month, September. They're going to know, and then on the, uh, uh, the last Sunday in October, we're going to have one service. We're going to do a grand prayer walk through Cedar Hill. We're going to have one service. Scott is going to preach. He asked me. I said, no, Scott, I think you should. So Scott's going to preach. It's going to be a mixed worship team. And, man, we're going to see what God does from there. So we're in a good place now. Amen? We're, we're, we're in a good place now. I still struggle because they are always at the service. And so, man, but God has been kind to us. And before I get to this, I, I, I would be amiss not to say this. Omni is in a good place. Praise God for that. Jim, AJ, and Ryan, Paradox Church. You guys don't know what you did for me in my heart when I sat in you, in you guys' office and you cut me a check. You, you would never know. It was more than, than just a check. No, it was good. It was, you was kind. You was kind and kind some more. But man, it was more of you guys believing. Being in a situation all of my life where I've had to trust others to make it. And then Ryan, who was the megachurch pastor of Benbrook, 
calls me one day and said, man, what do you guys need? He hadn't had a service. Man, what do y'all guys need? And that same month, cash was deposited into Omni's friendship account. You, you, you just, you don't know. And as of last month, the city church finally wised up. <laughs> and they are contributing. Man, to hear about people, about to hear, I hear Jim on stage and I know that they are about it. Church planting from within and supporting other church planters. I thank you guys. Paradox, I thank you for your generosity and how you guys helped Omni really get out to a really good start. So I'm, I'm, I'm indebted to you guys. I love you guys, and may, I would never forget it. I thought about writing you guys letters. I said, I'm going to see them in June, and I'll tell them in, in their face. Thank you. Ryan, like you, you never know. You're a church player. You just done started, and you're helping us. Thanks. Andrew and Ben, Matt, thank you guys so much. Thank you guys so much for really supporting and getting behind Omni Fellowship, man. We are doing great. As, yeah, so, and then Stonegate has just been awesome also. And so, yeah, so, man, I, so I want to say that, man, I'm done. I've taken 20 minutes. I got to move on now. I got to move on. But I wanted to carve out that time just to say thank you. Because also, what I'm about to talk about is just not something that, I'm, that, that, that Jim has asked me to, to share on stage. We've shared on phone and in person about this very issue. I know that it is a thing that, that, that God has gripped his heart about. So it's more than just a dialogue or it's more than just a discussion off a of stage. It's, I mean, he, he wants it in his own life. The same with Ryan, and the same with Ben and Andrew. I mean, we've, we've had personal convos about this very thing, that I'm growing in myself. I don't know everything, uh, but, I, but I, I do know who and what makes it, it possible, God and his gospel. So, man, with that being said, I, I, mean, I, I want us to look at Acts 10, Acts, Acts chapter 10, Someone has deemed this the conversion chapter because Acts chapter 10 is the fulfillment, in a sense, of what Christ talked about in Acts 1.8, how the gospel would eventually get to the outer world. And in a sense, that was to the Gentiles. And so what you see here in Acts chapter 10 is you see a guy named Cornelius. He's a Gentile. He's going to encounter, encounter the gospel towards the end. But John Stott, he said that, this, that more than about it being a chapter of the Gentiles 
being converted. It's more so about Peter's continual conversion. Peter just couldn't get it, y'all. I mean, I, I mean, Peter just, he just didn't get what God wanted to do with the gospel. Peter thought it was all for the Jews and, and Jews alone, but, but, but God, he's about, he's about to rock Peter's world by changing his diet. I'm going to change the diet. And then you're going to see, I'm going to change your heart. So let's, so let's look at Acts 10. And y'all, I'm, I've been long. I have 25 minutes. So I, I, I'm going to rush through it. But just, that's, that's it. So, 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 so God is about to convert Cornelius and continue to convert, transform, sanctify Peter. How so? I, I am glad to ask. Look at, uh, look at Acts ch- chapter 10. And man, we're going to look at uh, uh, the first few verses. There are three things that I want us to notice in this, uh, in, in, in this chapter. That when it comes to racial reconciliation, God is the one who, who's going to prepare. Man would be the one who would pursue, but then the gospel is the means of it. God is going to prepare men, Cornelius, who actually, who actually at this time they, they represent mankind. There was Jews and Gentiles. Nothing else. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. So they actually, they actually represent all of mankind. Okay? So, so look here at uh, 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 Acts 10, chapter 1, I mean, uh, verse 1. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. In about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision, an angel of God come in and said to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? Does this not remind you of Acts chapter 9? I mean, it's proven that we assume that and we see that Cornelius does not know Jesus. But he gives the same response as Saul. What is it, Lord? They're able to see Christ yet not knowing him. Let's, let's go on. Let's go. I got time. I got time. And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have been ascended as a, as a memorial before God. And now send me uh, send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging in one, with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among uh, who attended him and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Two things. You're going to see two things happening within the life of Cornelius and Peter. They're praying 
and then the division. Praying. They, they're seeking God. And in prayer, I would say they're seeking the heart of God. And in seeking the heart of God, God allows them to see his eyes. You're, you're seeking me, but let me now show you what I'm seeing. Cornelius, I've heard you. I've heard you. Your, your prayer has, is, is, the language is that of the Old Testament. Your prayers, they, 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 there's aroma that has reached my nostrils. And I'm about to answer them. He prays, he sees, and he sings. He prays to God, sees what God is seeing, and then he obeys God. Same thing about Peter. Go down to verse 9. And the next day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop of the sixth hour to pray. And he became, the Greek says, Peter was starving like Marvin. <laughs> he was, I mean, he was just not hungry. This dude had, I mean, y'all, he was starving, literally. Starving. And, and, and that's key to all of this. He's starving physically. And watch how God relates to him. And wanted something to eat, but while they were but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by his uh, in its four corners upon the earth. Verse twelve. In it were all kinds of animals <laughs> and reptiles and birds of the air. They came, and there came a voice. Rise, Peter. And eat. <laughs> Can you picture a spiritual golden corral buffet? <laughs> now all this all this in on this line is pork. Ah, pig feet. Ah, pork chops. And God is telling Peter, who is starving. Have at it. Peter, I, I'm changing the rules. Now, Peter is thinking about Leviticus chapter 11. This dietary law where it, where it, where it, where it, where it said clearly what the Jews could and could not eat. And what God is, and, and now in Acts 10, he's changing the whole game up. And y'all know the story. Peter says, God, but, but that's uncommon. It's not clean. It's not, you ask me to kill and eat something that I was raised not to eat. Something I was told not to eat. That I could even touch a pig. It's deeper than what we see. But, but, but God is doing something. He's, he's, he's taking his dietary issues and he's about to apply them 
to race. He gets down on Peter's level and he reveals a vision that hopefully Peter can understand what he's trying to do. After all, Peter is praying. He is seeking the very heart of God, wanting to see what God is seeing and then doing what God asks. Okay, so, 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 no, 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 yeah. My boy Peter, look what he says in verse 14. But Peter said, <laughs> by no means, Lord. Now, 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 Peter, God just invited you in on some pork chops and chitlins. Not chitlins, chitlins. <laughs> and he's saying, I can't touch that. For I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Look at the patience of God. Man, isn't it good to know we serve a patient God? Peter is wrestling with pork chops. Diet. And God says, and the voice to him came, and the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made, do not call unclean or common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once. Do y'all remember the discourse that Jesus had with, John, with Peter in John 21? Peter, do you love my sheep? No, I love your sheep. Peter, will you care for my sheep? You know I care for them. Peter, do you love my sheep? Come on, Jesus. You're tripping. I just told you twice, yes. Yeah, I love your sheep. Three times this happened. Three times this happened. What is God revealing to Peter? God, at this moment, wanted to teach Peter that God's flock was much bigger than the flock that Peter had thought of at first. Peter, do you love my flock? Not just the Jews. Peter, can you see past your own kind? Peter, can you see past those of you who share the same culture? Peter, can you see past what you are used to? And can you see what I'm doing? Listen, in the same way that God prepares Cornelius and Peter, he is also preparing us to engage in a much-needed process. He does it through two ways in this text, through prayer and through vision. I love 
the fact that the vision of the paradox is a thing of it, not the thing of it, but a thing of it is racial reconciliation. I love that that's the vision and heartbeat of the leaders of the paradox church. But I want to ask a more personal question. Is it yours? Is the only time you pray about it is when Jim leads you to pray about it? Or in your private times, when there's no one but you and God, are you praying about it? Are you singing what God is singing? Are you willing to do what God asks you to do? And I, and, and I don't want to move past this too fast because I think that most times we try to, we try to pursue something without praying for it. And if God does not damage your heart, the first time you're hurt, you're done. Say that again. If God does not do the, the damage necessary in private time to, to place this passion in your heart, and the first time you're hurt and or offended, you're done. You, you're done. Because you're trying to pursue without praying. You're trying to pursue without seeing and really desiring what God wants. Are you spending time praying for an individual? Have you seen what God has seen? Do you really have his heart for this? Now, there's more on that later, but I got to go on to my next point. God prepares Cornelius and, and Peter through prayer and vision, but now it's on Peter and Cornelius to pursue it. He's ready their hearts for this, but now comes the hard work. I got to get off my knees, leave this room, and now pursue it. It's in the text. Look at verse. 17. Yeah, I, I love Acts 10. Acts 10, it, it, it is my base for this thing called racial. Well, it's become my base since last Tuesday. How's that? There it is. There it is. Yo, look at, yo, 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 look at, verse, look at verse 17. Now, he's referring to Peter. It says this. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed, he doesn't really get it yet. He doesn't really understand what's going on. He doesn't get what God has shown him. As to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the man who was sent by Cornelius, having made uh, inquiry of uh, Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering, so he's now perplexed, he's now pondering, Man, he's frustrated. Like, man, 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 what did God just show me? I mean, man, God is still moving. <laughs> God is not waiting for Peter to get it. He's moving. Peter, you can be perplexed and you can ponder, but I'm moving. Do y'all see why he's up there thinking about it, pondering about it? The men are coming to his house. 
The, the plan is an action. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Because God, he is so kind that he's not going to wait on you to figure it out, to put in your life. Now, this is why I believe that sometimes this idea of racial reconciliation is frustrating. Because God, I don't get it. But you're putting people in my life already. God, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get what Jim is saying, but God, can, can you give a sister some time? No, I'm moving. You remember, you prayed about it. I showed you what it was all about. Now, I can't wait on you. I got to move. And yeah, yeah, we see that. And so in verse 19, and while Peter was pondering the vision, uh, 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 the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down. Accompany them without hesitation. For I, not Cornelius, have sent them. Oh, oh no! Cornelius sent them. No, I used him, but that was me. Did you see God's sovereignty in all of this? God's ability to control. Do you see this? He's, 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 says, I sent those men there. I just used Cornelius. I was, uh, uh, again, I was uh, get, getting ready to plant the, the merge, and I had big hopes, man, the merge. And out of nowhere, I would say, I say it, now I know who, Rodney Hobbs shows up. And he sends me to a city called Midlothian. I'm getting mad. God, they're asking me to come to a city I don't relate to. Sir, can you look just a little bit higher? It's not Rodney. It's me. I know what you need. But I also know what Stonegate needs. <laughs> Don't get mad at them. I, that's, I'm the one putting this all together. Yeah, I had no idea that God was doing this. I had no idea. But now I know. Peter knows. Peter says, man, it's, 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 it, it, it's God. It's God. Verse, verse 21. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one whom you are uh, looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Verse uh, 22. And, and they said, Cornelius, a, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for one to come to his house and to hear what you've said. Now, don't miss verse 23. And he, Peter, a Jewish person, invited them in to be his guest. A Jew just invited a Roman, a Gentile, 
into his house for the first time. It goes from praying to vision now to welcoming in. And to his home. See, it's all good when it's out in the public doing this thing. Oh, it's like all cool and dandy when we doing this at church and we are out to eat, man. But then there's a different story when I invite you into my home. Because then you get to see the real me. You can't see that, man. My house is a mess. Man, man, listen. When you're talking about dysfunction, we operate at the highest of dysfunctionality. Come on in. Come on in. Eat with me. Dine with me. Get to a Jewish guy. Let a Gentile person in their home. Can I just ask a question? When's the last time you've invited somebody unlike you into your home? When's the last time they stayed all night over your house? Use your bathtub. Open up your fridge. When's the last time you did that? But you say you want to, you want to, you want to pursue racial reconciliation. Is it for the public to see, or for God to see? It's the last time you invited someone unlike you, because Greek and Jew, nothing similar. Now they're chilling on Peter's couch, watching the Cowboys. Beat up the giants. Ah, that one. There it is. There it is. I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm, I'm just. Cowboy fan. I'm just keeping it real, man. Keeping it real. Keeping it real. But y'all, but, but do y'all see what I'm saying? It goes from prayer, a personal thing, to a vision, a thing from God, and God said, "Now you got to do the hard work of this. Invite them into your home." Now, if you read some more, y'all, Cornelius does, does the same thing to him. He does the same. He did. Now you have a Gentile letting a Greek, I mean, letting a Jew into his home where friends and family are gathered. So now you got a Jew sitting at the table with a Gentile with family and friends present. Cornelius didn't care. At Thanksgiving, it could be that Cornelius had Peter at his house. But, but wouldn't it be crazy on Thanksgiving if your family came into your house at your table and saw somebody so unlike them and asked, what are you doing? Why are they here? Can you see where Jew, can you see where Cornelius and Peter for a moment, they were not seeking the approval of man, but basking in the approval of God. And because of that, they were, they were not 
considering what man would say to them or about them in this moment? Yeah. But not only did he invite them in, real dialogue happened. Look at verse 20, 28. Yeah, I mean, real dialogue. I mean, Peter, just, Peter is just real and uncut. This is the uncut Peter, y'all. Look, look what Peter says in verse, in verse 28. And he said to them, that this is Peter going to his house now. He's, he's at the house of Cornelius, at the table. They chit-chat, chopping it up. And he said to them, <laughs> you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone or another nation. Y'all know this already. Listen, listen. I shouldn't even be talking to y'all right now. Let alone at the table with y'all in your house. It's against the law. Y'all know this. I shouldn't be here. But I'm here. Why, Peter? I'm got to ask y'all. That's a good question. That's a good question. Because but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Motive. Motive. <laughs> Peter had a pure heart and a pure motive. I came here not objecting what God had did in my heart. I asked then why you sent for me. But I want to know why, why am I here? But I came willingly. And because God has shown me, I'm not to call anybody unclean or common. Peter said, you guys know how I was raised. You know where I am. But God. <laughs> this is where racial reconciliation gets tricky. Because we tiptoe on certain topics. We tiptoe on certain things that we should or should not, not knowing that I mean, we're all at the table ignorant, needing to learn. So why do you get offended when I ask you a question? I'm just trying to find, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to find out what's going on with me. I don't know your background. You said, but you like I was there when you was there. I don't know what's going on. And I don't even know where you are now. So, so can I just state where I am and you state where you are? And can we ask questions? And can you not be so easily offended when I ask a question out of ignorance? I just don't know. I don't know you. You don't know me. Two totally different upbringings. Can we just talk about it? Can we talk it out? And you not wear your feelings on your sleeve. Because I'm asking you in this moment of dialogue, believe more about what Christ has said about you than the questions that I'm asking about you. Can the, can the gospel be believed in this moment in your life? Just for a moment, while I ask you some dumb questions. Mm 
in love. I just don't know. Peter, y'all know me. I ain't even used to hang with y'all, man. My mom and dad would be pissed off if they knew was in my house. That's the law. That's tradition. But God, he's changed me. Have you given God time enough to change? Have you spent enough time for God to change your heart? To give you a good vision? To see what he sees? And then to do what he says to do? It's what it takes in this pursuit of racial reconciliation. Can we push through? My, can you forgive my ignorance? If even people with ill motives, can you love them despite their motives? Back, back song. The people, my friends, my fellow brother and sisters at First Baptist City Hill. I knew that the motive of me being in that room, for the most part, was wrong. God said, son, I want you to go in this room and do one thing. No, two things. Come one way and do one thing. Come with humility and decide to love them. No matter what they say, what they ask, can you not in this moment get offended? Can you just love them? <laughs> like I love you. Can, can you just accept them like I have accepted you in Christ for my glory? Can you do that just for, just, just, just for an hour? So can you not be you for a moment and glorify me? Yeah, it was in the middle of this conversation <laughs> where folks' hearts and minds began to change where it ended up saying, well, how can we do this church-wide, but how can we also do it in your personal? How can we get to know you? What? Me? The guy y'all talk bad about? They just needed to know that they were loved. Despite their motive, love never ends. It never gives up. We love, despite and in spite of people. Love, that's when love is unconditional. So, 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 so you see where, where God, he actually prepares how, how, man, how Peter, Cornelius pursues. In the last part, from verses 34 through 48, man, Peter fleshes out the gospel. He talks about the life the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when he explains this mighty message, the Holy Spirit comes down. Gentiles are saved. And not just diversity is possible, but unity. Ah, let me get to my last point. The gospel is the only way that unity 
when you go to a good restaurant, there's diversity. Go to Macy's. Go to a good mall. You see all kind of diversity. Shopping brings diversity. Good coffee, a good brewski. Uh -huh. It brings diversity. But only God can bring unity. See, we can't settle with just diversity. That's a thing, but the world has that. Walmart is, is actually d d diverse. So does Target's. J.C. Penney's is, is diverse. I mean, foul stores. They even have multi-ethnicities shopping at J.C. Penney's. But they're all doing their own thing. They're not seeking warnings. The kind of warnings that Christ himself prayed for in John 17. Look to how my homie, my, my friend, Eugene Peterson, phrases the scripture. He says, the same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they would be as unified together as we are. Oh, I'm, they're going to be as unified, as one as you and I, the Father, are. He says, I and them and you and me, then they'll be mature in this oneness, this unity. Here it is, here it is. And give the godless, that is, the world, evidence. Of what? What will the world see? What, what, what will the world Observe. I'm glad you asked some good questions. Now I, I, I just love y'all. He says that you've sent me. Here it is. They're going to see the kind of oneness, the kind of unity, that they would know that you, God the Father, has sent God the Son. And that what else? And that you love them in the same way you love me. What? See, they don't do that when it's just diversity. They do that, they see that when there's oneness. And when the world sees oneness, there are no two things that God the Father must have sent God the Son, and God the Father loves us just as he loves the Son. When it comes to you and I being loved by by God, you put Christ on this side and me on this side. Really, it's Christ here and me in Christ. Yeah. And there's no difference in love. You see the way John and I walk together in such oneness? <laughs> the world would know you. Stuff. Why would Jim and I be hanging out? That's for y'all to ask and for us to know, amen? <laughs> but primarily, it's because of Jesus. He's brought us together. He's the common denominator. And that the world will also see that God loves us just as he loves Jesus. Don't you want that testimony? Is that not a great motivator to seek oneness? Is that not the reason 
that the world that the world would they would take notice not because of diversity but because of oneness we seek unity in the midst of diversity and we don't become content with just diversity I'm not wanting God to end racism alone I'm not wanting God just to create and plant diverse churches. I'm wanting the world to see unity in diverse churches. <laughs> That's what I want to see, because then they would have seen and had, you know what, there is racial reconciliation then. Not because we're all in one room, but because we're all in one room and we're one. Imagine that. That's what I want. So let me give you three things, four things, and then we're going to ask questions. How does this happen? I'm glad to ask. It's in the text. Number one, just pray for it. It's, it's enough. Just, just pray. Be found continually praying that the gospel would affect your heart in such a way that you would want this for his glory. Okay? Okay, number two. After you pray, Get his heart and then get his vision. God, can, 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 can I see what you see? Maybe you are like, what does God sing? Okay, Revelation 5, 9 says, And they sing a new song saying, Worthy are they, are you, who take up a scroll and open, it, and open the seals. For you, have, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for many, from every tribe, language, people and nation. The same thing is said in, in Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. That's, the vision. That's how we're going to spend eternity. We might as well get used to it now. That's our future. Can we see something? Can we ask God, can, can, can we see your future kingdom now in your local church? Can you give us a glimpse of the unity and diversity that we will enjoy and live in in the future. And then you have to embrace discomfort. There's nothing comfortable about this. Your flesh is going to hate it, but the Spirit of God inside of you, He's going to love it and will it so. It takes three things. In this discomfort, in this phase, in this area of discomfort, it takes, first of all, the ability to listen and listen well. Risk, risk in relationships. You're going to be hurt pursuing it. Get over it. Listen, that's coming from me. I was at Stonegate one time and I just got to preaching and this older lady came up to me and made some mean statements towards me. That very day, I quit. I quit Stonegate. Done with y'all. I said to y'all, done with this church. I'm tired of this. I get in the car. Well, I, I'm going to the car. I see Rodney. Rodney said, man, what's up? I mean, I, I, no, 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 no,
He followed me to the car. He, he and Dave come to the car, man, and they tried to console me. I said, man, I'm done. Right? I said, man, take, just take a, take a week off, Valentine. Just chill out, man. I, I, listen, I don't understand. Just chill, man, take a, take a week off. Gather your bearings and then come back, man, let's talk. I get on, I get on 287, headed, headed to the house. My father said, so who did you believe? Her or me? And who taught you to quit? Me or you? Son, love is patient. <laughs> love is kind. Turn around and go tell her you're sorry. I said, what? <laughs> sorry? See, you didn't respond the way I would have. Your response did not make much of me. Wow. Tell her you're sorry. I turned around, but I had to go find her. I turned around and sat in the parking lot, mad and pouting. I didn't go in there, I just sat there. I didn't quit, but I didn't leave. <laughs> I'm sitting in the car, mad, that's pouting. But it ain't right, God. And then her and her husband, they walked by the front, they walked by the front of my car. <laughs> Son, while you're pouting, not pondering, I'm still moving. <laughs> Get out. Tell them. Tell them you, you're sorry. I get out. I say, hey, they were shit out. No, they small. So they thought I was gonna move. <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, no, hey, 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 hey. I only want to say that, that I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did not respond towards your comments in a way that glorified God. I'm, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Yeah, she like, what? I said, no, I'm, I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? They became my best friends. <laughs> it's amazing what obeying God would do. It's risk. They could have said, man, please. Or they could have did what they did and say, we forgive you. There's listening. There's a risk in relationships. And there's a risk in structure. Structure. Of friends in my life, and if you are ministry, of how you do church. You can't say you're about racial reconciliation and your whole staff is either black or white. You can't say that you are about that and you have a black or white as a token with no influence. You can't say that, that you are about racial reconciliation and have either a white or a black with no influence in, in place. I'm good and was good with being a token because a token paid my way somewhere. I'm 
Some people are not. Some people are. So everybody's different. But as long as me being a token gets me somewhere, I'm all good. I'm, that, that's me. That may not be Canaan or may not be Eric or may not be TJ, but that's, 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 that's. Because I knew that if I hadn't accepted that then, I wouldn't be where I am now. See, God used that. See, God used when his own brother Joseph sold him into slavery. God used that. See, God can take the ill motives of men and make glory of them and make much of himself. See, I know in everything, God is sovereign. <laughs> All I need is to stay humble. And whatever God you want to do with me, do it. But that's me. That's me. But praise God, Rodney Hobbs did not bring me on staff to be a token. He gave me influence. He shared his power. He, he shared. I told, I, I told God, I told them, told them last uh, time for, I don't mind white privilege, just share some. Just share some. Can, can, you, can you give out? Can, can you loan some out? <laughs> man, be privileged, man. Just, just, just share some. That's all, I, that's, all, that's all I'm saying. Just share some of your power, which he prayed for. He, he prayed for that earlier. That they would share privilege and power. He, Jim prayed for that earlier. Did y'all hear that? Can we praise God for that? That, that a man who was set and knelt down in front of God long enough for God to do work on his heart to get him to where he is today and, and, and is willing to share privilege, willing to share power, willing to share influence, willing to share his pulpit, willing to share the stage. It's risky, but it's worth it. It's uncomfortable. We have to embrace the uncomfortable and last, we need to worship and serve together on a continual basis. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, God, for this. And God, we thank you that God, that Christ in himself, he makes all of this possible. There's not a thing that you've called us to do that has not been done for us. So we can rest in that. We can rest in your finished work. That it is the gospel that moves us to pray. It is the gospel that moves us to, to have a vision for what the Father has. It is, it is the gospel that moves us to embrace being uncomfortable. It is the gospel that causes us from different ethnicities and tribes and socioeconomics to worship and serve together. It is the gospel that is the linchpin, the base, the foundation of which racial reconciliation can be had. Racial reconciliation is not the gospel, but it is something that the gospel addresses. Will you please give us a heart for that if you deem it so. Daddy, we thank you and we love you so much. We ask it all in your son's name. Amen.